News Talk 1400 WOND. Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving our nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 25 of Serving in Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into this program, I just want to briefly share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a show that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. I want to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that focus their lives on being servant leaders, on caring for other people and showing them love. Because I believe when you do that, you honor God, and when that happens, blessings just naturally follow as a byproduct of that love. Because I truly believe that when you see a need, you have to feel that need. Because regardless of what you do for an occupation, we are all ministers called with a very special gift given to us by God. And that means serving is for everyone in all walks of life. And you've seen that demonstrated week after week from people from different vocations in the military, business, faith, community, and even people that just serve within their family. And last week in episode 24, you heard from Pastor Dave Charnick and Mr. Ray Bootwell. And the primary takeaway from that was that regardless of whether you are ministering to young kids in a youth program or if you're a 95-year-old World War II veteran that's just restarting a new business, you're never too young or too old to love and serve others. So just a little bit about me for this week that's relevant. I have an opportunity to work with many chaplains and military ministries through my work in the armed services ministry. And as a result of that, today I have an opportunity to have two really great examples of servant leaders. And their leadership permeates to many different areas, business, faith, and the military. And so first I have Mr. Kevin Weaver. He's a U.S. Air Force veteran. And he's also a CEO and the co-founder of an organization called The Warrior's Journey. And second, I have Chaplain Brigadier General Retired Ed Brandt. Not only is he a retired Brigadier General and Chaplain, but he also currently serves as the pastor of Laley Presbyterian Church. I'm so excited to have them on, and when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Mr. Kevin Weaver. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been hearing the same old voice of the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside Live and local radio you can depend on for accurate news and stimulating talk News Talk 1400 WOND South Jersey's News Talk Leader You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough A Jacob Media Production and welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Mr. Kevin Weaver. Kevin, you on the line? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be on the program today. It's really an honor to have you on the show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Well, Kevin, 
during our time together a few weeks ago and reading up on you, there's quite a bit of things that you've done in your career. But I think a good place for us to start our conversation is your time in the Air Force. So I'm curious, what made you want to join the military? And then why the Air Force or maybe the varsity team of the Army? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I When I joined the military, it was uh, really probably for reasons other than just being patriotic. You know, at a time in my life, I was really wanting to... Uh, honor my father and uh, he was an air force guy and uh and so you know that was uh he, he wasn't he never served but he but he served as an aerospace engineer and so that's just kind of leaning toward my family so i mm-hmm. thought i'll try the air force and and uh yeah it just worked out really super well so i, I really appreciate that uh, my father was also in the military so i definitely feel a strong connection with that lineage there and you know, i hope you don't take any offense when i talk about the varsity team there's always just a good yeah. rivalry between <laughs> services you know that uh, yeah, it's always it's always good humor, and of course, you know, people who are in the military, when you get down range, we're all on the same team, so it, it. All, it all works hand in hand. And so, when you joined the Air Force, what did you do? What was your primary role, and how you were able to serve others in that capacity? Yeah, so I served in the special, uh, well, actually, it was in a um, Office of Special Investigations later in my career, but I started as a security forces, or what they used to call security police at the time, equivalent to an MP in the Army, or um, like in the uh, Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really a great job, and uh, I had some computer skills going in. I had some college time, and so the guys from Office of Special Investigations, which would be the equivalent of CID in the mm-hmm. Army, uh, got a hold of me and said, hey, would you like to, to join us here? And that was in U.S. Summit Command when it was in Panama back in the 80s, and a lot of neat things were happening, uh, a lot of activity uh, during that period of time, and so I really felt uh, privileged and blessed to be a a part of that particular office, investigative office, because it was mostly drug intervention and working with several different, um, you know, high high level cases at that time. So it was it was really a, a great experience. And how long did you serve there? I might have missed that. Yeah, no, I was there from 1982 through uh, the middle of '87. So I actually did like three consecutive <laughs> short tours there. I was single at the time, and and I just loved it. Wow. So '82 to '87, and you said you were single. So did that have any kind of impact on any of your relatives if you weren't married or have kids at the time? You know, it was interesting. You know, I, I didn't come home, didn't really spend much time at home, um, you know, during the holiday seasons especially. We were super busy, and so when I did come home, it wasn't it wasn't really when family was all together, so I did see my family sporadically. You know, it did have an impact. Um, you know, on me as a single guy, I uh, it wasn't as impactful, I think, if I would have been married or had children. Yeah. Um, obviously a different dynamic there, but uh, it really did, I think, solidify, because I did watch a lot of the married couples that I worked with, a lot of guys that were married, Mm -hmm. and many times I would even try to take duty so that they could spend time with family. It did have a really long-lasting impact on me even today with what we're doing, you know, making sure that those guys get time with family. It's so important. Absolutely. So I'm curious, with the jobs that you did have in that five or six years stint, you talk about the officer's special investigation that's kind of like CID and prior to that serving with the security police. So what kind of lessons did you take away from servant leadership during your time in those roles? I would imagine that you had to learn a lot about what it really means to love and care for others in that capacity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, probably more as I got into it. I went in as an E3 and uh, I did. I was very fortunate. I made below the zone, so I, I ended up being um, uh, promoted to what we called a senior airman at the time. Mm-hmm. And then they had what they called buck sergeant, which they don't have anymore. But uh, so I was an NCO early on, probably two years into my my stint. 
And so I went through a, a leadership school, in fact. It was an NCO course and really learned a lot about the fact that, you know, there's, there's really two different perspectives on leadership. There's rank, which gives you the role of leadership, and then there's the performance side of it. And especially as it relates to what you are trying to pass on to those that are, that are under you, learn really early on that your best assets are the guys that you lead. And, um, you know, you really setting the example can make the difference one way or the other. You know, whatever example you set, that's, that's kind of the course by which you're going to take or you're, the people who follow you are going to take. So it, it really was a good maturing lesson for me, and I, 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 I took that seriously and really tried to incorporate that as, a, as an NCO. Now, is that something that you kind of figured out on your own, or were there mentors that kind of helped to shape you and guide you along the way? That's a great question. You know, part of it was on my own, but I'll tell you the biggest part was I, I was involved when, when we were there in Panama. I was involved at a, at, a, at a really neat local church with a lot of military folks in it, and there were just so many senior NCOs that, that I kind of rubbed shoulders with from all different branches, and uh, I had several that became uh, really close mentors to me, and, and I, would, I would lean on their experience, and it was really phenomenal. Looking back, even today, I didn't probably at the time realize how phenomenal that was. It just seemed normal to me at the time, but looking back, I know not, not all individuals, especially junior NCOs, get, get that opportunity, so I was very fortunate that way. Absolutely. So I'm curious, I mean, now you're a CEO of the Warriors Journey and the co-founder of that. So one, I think it's important for the listeners to have a bit of background information from you on what that is. But I'm also curious of how you transitioned from being the NCO into the Warriors Journey. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have a a lot of volunteer staff. uh, And of course, the ones that aren't volunteer that are paid, you know, I've carried those same principles over into where we are today. Uh, I don't expect anyone on our team to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself, you know, mm-hmm. and setting that vision and example. And there's a fine line between that and then micromanaging, you know, and really releasing and empowering people to do what, uh, you know, what they're called to do, what they feel led to do, and, and probably equally important, what they're gifted to do, and just let them run with it with the kind of support and guidance and uh, level of authority that they need to, to see it happen, but without overshadowing them. So, yeah, huge lessons from what I learned in the military and carrying that over. And I think that makes a difference, too, when we interact with the Department of Defense or with uh, battalions or squadrons across the across the, the military when we're working with them, engaging with them, and, and supporting them uh, from the Warrior's uh, Journey perspective. Would you mind sharing for the listeners what the Warrior Journey is and how you got to that point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we found that there was really a lot of need. Of course, we know that there are so many veteran service organizations out there, but there was one need that we felt confident in that we were already doing on a, on a world stage. We kind of had dialed in this idea of uh, unlocking information and content to those who, who were doing digital searches, you know, and, and working with Google, YouTube, and other search platforms. And we did some research with the Pentagon and the Harvard School of Business and found that there were really 12 unique challenges. These are not exclusive by any stretch, by the way. But there are really 12 major unique challenges from post-9-11 experiences, people in the military, that were just really difficult for most people to understand on the civilian side, and many times even for the VA. So we felt like, you know, hey, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, let's create a, a bridge by which we can connect individual folks that were really struggling, helping them to see what were the best organizations out there, and how could we serve them directly as well. So we started with this idea of an online interactive community and through this research and these 12 challenges that we've discovered, uh, PTSD, of course, was one, but it wasn't the top one. It was number 10 out of 12 
isolation, family brokenness, moral injury, these were actually other issues that were much more prevalent. And so we developed an online platform and we use Google AdWords to make that connection so when people are searching online they can find us. But we, we really connect those people to those issues and we're working, as they're working through those challenges, they can explore through personal testimonies. So we have video testimonies, articles that guys have written and have walked through. And then we, we, we incorporate the components of you know, the physical, the emotional, the psychological, but also the spiritual. We try to make it a holistic approach, you know, as people are sharing their stories, how they've found resiliency, hope, and, and really solutions to, to really making all this make sense as they're navigating these challenges. That's awesome. And what made you want to start? I mean, you're serving in the Air Force and you're doing stuff with the military police and OSI. So that's a big leap from that <laughs> to the warrior's journey. How did you make the yeah, transition? You know, during, yeah, well, it is. Well, during my time, during that time, what I haven't shared is that, you know, being a believer and, you know, someone who really faith has always been an important part of my, you know, my, my work, um, I actually engaged uh, in a lot of, in fact, a lot of guys called me, called me their chaplain, even though I was never a chaplain. They say, they would always say, hey, I need some spiritual advice. You know, can you share this with me? Because I tried to live that faith, you know, uh, as, as strongly as I possibly could. And so that led to, 30 years of pastoral work following the military. So I've been in pastoral ministry for a long, long time, and, and, and much of that ministry was to military members. Uh, in fact, my very first pastoral experience was going back to Panama uh, after the 1989 invasion, and uh, my wife and I, my new wife, in fact, because I married just after I got out, uh, we went there and we worked with military members um, from all branches, uh, really doing ministry there. So it really was something that carried over into this idea of how can we really get these guys out of isolation, you know, so that, that's been a pretty big vision for the last 30 years for us. So 30 years of ministry, and how long has the Warrior's Journey been going? Yeah, so we actually, the concept started in 2014, uh, but we kicked into high gear by doing the research in 2015, and then we launched officially in the fall of 2016. So we've just been going, well, like four and a half years. So it's, it's really fairly new, but, but we've already been able to reach over a half a million uh, military members, veterans, and their families. Wow. And is that throughout the country? Are there particular regions that you focus on? You know, we, we're really worldwide. So we do worldwide scopes. So we've got, you know, people who serve in Japan, Korea, Germany. In fact, we opened up a, a resiliency center, an actually face-to-face -face center, you know, from our online community uh, because we have four now specific deliverables. The online community, number one, services that we offer directly, which that would be one, which include workshops and incorporating um, small group peer-to-peer -peer type experiences. Uh, resources, we publish quite a bit. We've, we've done quite a few small group uh, materials working in coalition with other groups and, it, and groups like even American Bible Society. You know, it's been great, the resources that we've had, been able to, to partner with them with the Warrior Bible and so on. And then the final deliverable for us is the partnerships. You know, what we can't do, we've gone out and vetted other organizations so that we can do a very, very warm connection uh, with someone who's maybe being challenged with something that we don't offer, but we have other groups that offer some pretty amazing services. And, and when that's finished, we pick it back up and say, okay, hey, what's next? You know, taking them through kind of a coaching experience. So you're the CEO, but you're also the co-founder. So who was your other co-founder? Yeah, so Mark Flattery, uh, who is the president uh, of Network 211, was a kind of used a the the, the whole idea of um, a missionary platform, a worldwide outreach program using the internet and the digital resources, and that's where this digital idea came to life. And so I came on to to help him uh, 
kind of take that to the next level. And as we got to talking in 2014, he says, you know, I've got a real burden for the military, and you've done military ministry. Hey, let's put our heads together. Could we make this work? And then that's what birthed the Warrior's Journey. And that wow. was uh, pretty amazing. It was really wonderful that he was willing to do that for this particular targeted group. Even though he's never served, he's always had an appreciation uh, for, you know, for our, our military members. And so you said that you've been going for about four and a half, five years. What would you say is your vision, your plan for the next five years? What's God laid on your heart about that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we want, really want to expand our, our services especially. One of the things we're finding is that although the digital platform really does give us a, a unique and very broad and wide, wide scope of connection with individuals, we're finding that the greatest um, connections that we have relationship-wise uh, happens face-to-face. And so even though in our online service we, we do have a, a, a venue by which you can say, hey, I want to talk to someone, we get them connected with another warrior. But when we start doing, um, you know, honor events or if we're in churches or businesses or we're doing workshops, retreats, helping with those, even with the DOD, uh, we do staff command briefings, you know, from all across the nation. We're finding that we that we have much, much more greater depth of relationship with these face-to-face events. So our our expansion is really going to be in that area. To include, uh, we'd like to start two more uh, resiliency centers uh, in the states. We have that one in Germany near Kaiser in Kaiserslautern near um, near Ramstein Air Base, and uh, that started two years ago. We have about two to three hundred people that come through that each day, uh, and and through the guise of a coffee shop. We started a coffee shop, kind of like a Starbucks, and then we have these workshops that we do in the evening, and that platform has been super successful. So wow. we're going to explore that idea. Uh, in the area of like Fort Bragg, potentially, or maybe in San Diego, uh, launching a couple of more of these these uh, centers where military members and their families could find a safe place to explore options. You know, as they're as they're working through these challenges. Wow, that is wonderful. So, of all the things that you've done in the last five years, and you said prior to that, thirty years of pastoral ministry, what has been the Ooh. thing that has really stuck out to you? Is where God really showed up. Yeah, you know, Paul, that's really great because I think that's probably the number one motivator for for myself and for our team. In fact, when we have people who join the team, we we really strongly talk about this motivational factor because it is a very cause-motivated deal. But, you know, everyone I've discovered early on in my days in the military, regardless of how hardcore some guy might be or or some gal who may just be so dedicated to her work as a military member, that everyone has the need to be loved. Everyone needs to belong, you know, to a community. Everyone is looking for purpose, and, and really people want to be valued. So yes. those, those four things are the things that are so impactful. So it's just been really amazing to me that each individual story that I could tell you, because we've, we've had, like I said, uh, over half a million connections, and out of that we've been able to service directly uh, over 5,000 individuals directly many of them who had suicidal ideation issues, you know, but I can, I can tell you that the common denominator are those four things, is that, that we're all human beings, and even these, these folks that have dedicated themselves to high levels of leadership and training um, find themselves sometimes in these crises because something is missing in one of those four areas, and I, at the risk of oversimplifying, I, which I hate to do, and, and if you're a listener, maybe one of your listeners is more in the field of psychology, and I'm not trying to downplay the need for that, because that's important, all of those things are so important, mm-hmm. but we kind of hit this at a broad level, and then as we triage, we we want to try to help them find those specific areas where they need to find help, and it's been super impactful. It's, it, we found that relationship, that's a key, key component. If I can make a connection with an individual 
help them know that, hey, as a battle buddy, you know, we're there for you, you know, and then we can somehow create that trust to carry them on to some type of service or, or process or plan to help them find wholeness. That's what it's all about. Amen. Well, I got about a minute left with you. So my last question to you, you know, maybe there's somebody that's listening today and maybe they're thinking about starting a nonprofit. Maybe they're thinking about going into the military or uh, even going into pastoral ministry. What advice would you give to somebody that's listening today and trying to figure out what God has for them as their next step? Yeah, another great question. You know, that's probably pretty multifaceted, but if there was a common denominator in that, you know, really, truly make sure you're doing what you feel you're called to do. You know, don't don't settle for second best. If, if God has called you to that, then and, and there may be a lot of complex questions you have, like how it's all going to work, my advice would be don't worry about those things. Just, just trust your gut. You know, whatever it is you feel like you're supposed to do, get in there and do it. Do it with all your might. And I, I'm telling you, God just shows up, and he empowers us for the call. You know, he, he won't call us unless he, he, he promises then to, be with us and give us what we need to see that come through successfully. Amen. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for being on the program today. It has been an honor to have you on the show, and it was really a privilege to spend some time with you a few weeks ago. Hey, Doc, it's been great to talk with you, too. And, and uh, yeah, always, always a pleasure. We hope that we can continue some great partnerships as we move forward, and anything we can do to help, please let us know. Thanks so much, Kevin. Hey, God bless. All right, when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Chaplain Brigadier General Retired Ed Brandt. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on our News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Chaplain Brigadier General Retired Ed Brandt. Chaplain, are you on the line? I am, Paul. How are you doing? I am very well. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy Sunday to be on the program today. Oh, man, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for what you do. Thank you, Chaplain. Well, you have done so very much in your career, but I think the most logical place to start is your call to ministry, because it, it feels like that's where everything originated from for you. It, it does. It, it did. Um, and I think my call to ministry came at age 12 at church camp. And I think you do a lot of the, uh, the biographical work. You'll see that it's probably tied uh, to my the death of my grandfather, with whom I was very close. But again, I found that... Uh, uh, at church camp, made a commitment uh, to, to serve the ministry, and it was just, you know, it was high school, it was college, it was seminary. There were no second thoughts about that. Wow. And I couldn't imagine, I just can't imagine doing anything else. I mean, sometimes you think about it, like, what what would life be like if I was in business or uh, in, in more of the public eye? But, you know, this is this is not just a job, it's just it's just who I am. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that. Because it's it's not a nine to five job. It's it's caring for people as they as they make requests and uh, and always think about how to do this, how to do my work better, how I, how can be a more faithful servant in what uh, in, in in the responsibilities that God has given to me. So that that's how I look at it. There's probably a lot more there to unpack. I think you know biographically, <laughs> but that's uh, <laughs> with all of us. But that's 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 where it started. So what happened at this church camp? Like, how did God speak to you that you knew that you were called to be a pastor and go into ministry? 
Well, there a church camp. So it was a church camp located in uh, Cumberland County, Pennsylvania. It's in the mountains. Uh, so I was raised churches of God, and went to church camp every year. Mm-hmm. But it was just in-depth Bible study, a lot of time to pray, and in those formative years really allow us time to have honest conversations with our friends and with caring church counselors. Yeah, and and you begin to explore. Okay, and you, it's a real honest conversation with yourself. What what do you want to do with your life? What does God want you to do with your life? And and I think sometimes those conversations don't happen as we get older. Maybe they should. Um, but it was that, that moment, and then we had, uh, every every Friday night, there was a, uh, I would say an altar call mm-hmm. uh, to either dedicate or rededicate your life to Christ. And it was a matter of, uh, of, of someone just, not just that Friday night, but also during the week, saying, listen, you have these, looks like you have some certain gifts that could really be beneficial for the life of the church. Have you considered praying to God to see how they could be used for the church? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's that's what happened with me. And it's, it's uh, one of those moments in life you just, I'll never forget. Because it's just, uh, it, again, like I said, Paul, it's not a job. It's just... Uh, I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. It's right. always a calling. But I guess other people have that same thing, too, whether it be the medical profession. They, they can't imagine themselves doing anything else. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So that really resonates with me, Chaplain, because my daughter uh, and my son, they both go to what's called a Revo program, uh, which is the youth group on Friday night. And just last week I had the youth director from the church, uh, Pastor Dave Charnack, so he came on and he talked about his ministry. And just a few weeks ago, my daughter had an opportunity to go to that church camp, the type, same type of thing that uh, you were referring to. So it's New Jersey Youth Camp, and hundreds of children across the New Jersey area had an opportunity to go to that. So I'm hoping that she has an experience like that one day, but she's definitely engaged in the program. I'm really happy for you and for her to have that, uh, have that possibility of an experience. Uh, like I said, we... we you know, in the churches today, I, I, and, and, and maybe like you, you get a chance to go visit a lot of different congregations and worship on Sunday morning. Some are just absolutely great, and others are just absolutely horrible. Yeah. And and I, I think sometimes, the, for whatever reason, the pastor has just lost the fire in his or her belly, and they're just they're just waiting the next three years to retire, as a, as opposed to finishing strong and being faithful to the call. That faithfulness to the call. You know, it takes you past the finish line when that when that time comes. Yeah, uh, when you slow down or uh, retire and 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 give thanks for what God's been able to do through you in your life. Well, you know, I've tried to be very influential in my kids' lives and help to keep them on the right path and guide them uh, towards the cross. Uh, but you know, there's only but so much that I can do. All of it really depends on God. But I wonder what impact, if any, your family had on your decision to enter ministry. Where the influential in your life as you were coming up? Oh, a number of things. So I was raised in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It's a very conservative area. Mm-hmm. And we had I mean, we had devotions every Sunday night at the house. And I'm one of five kids, so we took turns leading devotions. My parents were very committed to the life of the church. And I can still tell you, Paul, regardless of whether we were early or late, we were normally late with five kids. Mom and Dad prayed us down that aisle to the very front pew every single Sunday. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I forget that. And then Sunday school was a big part of life. Mom and Dad were very involved in life of the church. Uh, they they encouraged us to join the choir, to be part of the, be those youth reps on church council. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to go to church camp and be in, but, you know, it takes that supportive family unit. So it's not just, for my mom and dad, it wasn't just, oh, let's drop the kids off the church and we get a free babysitter. It was yeah. like, no, we want you to grow in your faith. Yeah. We want you to understand who God is in your life. And, and that was, that's so important today. And so how long now have you been in ministry, Chaplain? I, I was ordained in 85. Wow. So I'm not very good at math. So since 85, and then when I was in college, I was actually a student pastor at a small little church out in Hamler, Ohio, outside of uh, south of Toledo. And then, you know, of course, the seminary, probably the same thing with you when you went to seminary, did some field ed work. And then you get the first first church that you serve. And, uh, and it was just, it just, it just kept going. Even in the military, Paul, whether you, you know, National Guard chaplain, was National Guard chaplain, even though that was maybe a full-time position, I still was involved in the local congregation. Mm -hmm. Like I said, this whole living your faith, it's not a hobby. You're you're here to make a difference in the lives of people. And and you have to take it seriously or, or, uh, God will find another way to get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot about that in Proverbs, and some of those things, I don't want to see what that looks like. <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. Well, in so 36... Go ahead. Go ahead. In 36 okay. years of ministry, I, I would imagine that you've learned a whole lot about servant leadership. Like, what are the, some of the key takeaways that you've learned about how to be a servant leader during your 36 years? Let me start with the very first church I served in Perry County, Pennsylvania. And I went around to the local nursing nurse home, the, the funeral home, and David Myers was the, he had a furniture store out front and a funeral home out back. And I went in there to introduce myself as the new pastor. I'm 20-some years old, pastor this 150-member congregation in the hills of Pennsylvania. He says, where'd you get your education? I told him where I went to seminary. He says, wrong. You're going to get your education here. Wow, and those are probably the most, they're the truth. They're the truest words that resonate still with me today, because it's not the book knowledge. Yeah, it's not the, it's not the degree. It's getting getting your feet wet, jumping in with both feet, and learning about people. Mm-hmm. And I probably learned more about people at the Newport Church of God than I learned about everyone in my entire life. Wow. And so it was there that that you learned. Hey, you know what? I'm not the expert here. I'm a servant. Mm-hmm. I'm here to listen to people. I'm not here to tell them how it is. I'm maybe here to listen how they think it is and and, and, and have a conversation back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if people go into a congregation or go into a position saying, I'm in charge and I'm the boss, they've missed the boat. Yeah. They really have missed the boat. And it's about caring for people and listening and serving them. That, that's that's the, probably the best way I could put that, that answer that question, Paul. Well, and so, how did you transition to the chaplaincy? You know, from being that young twenty-something-year-old kid in your first church to becoming a brigadier general in the National Guard. How did you transition? Well, first of all, I never, I never expected to be a brigadier general. Number one, number two is uh, I was again the new portrait of God. Up there, I'm on this senior citizens board, and this this insurance agent says to me, "Hey, Ed, uh, have you ever thought about, about being a chaplain in the National Guard?" I said, "I never thought about that." He goes, "We need chaplains that you can't believe." So I met with the uh, state chaplain at the time, Earl Brooks, God rest his soul, Presbyterian minister. And uh, Chaplain Brooks said to me, he goes, oh, Ed, if we get you in, no problem, we'd love to have you. And don't worry, nothing, you'll never get deployed. You might have a flood, maybe a prison riot, but nothing else. <laughs> so you get, <laughs> get commissioned in 89, and what, a couple years later, it's Gulf War One, and then boom, it's uh, 
going to Iraq in, in 2008 to 2009. And, and what I found in that was a couple things. Number one, I think in the church, it's very difficult to have close friends because you always work for or with somebody in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And I found in the National Guard, even though it was one week in a month and two weeks a year, I found just a different cadre of friends that was outside the church that uh, my wife and I found refreshing to have, something totally different. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in serving our country, a big believer. I, I, I would be... I might be in the minority, but I would be in favor of mandatory service, whether it be the military, the Peace Corps, the Air Corps, you know, choose your poison. Mm-hmm. But I think we all have a responsibility to serve, this con- to serve this country. And I think by doing so, we would have a shared experience that we don't quite have right now across the country. Yeah. Well, with all the things that you've done, Chaplain, you know, with your very long 36-year career in ministry and all the time that you've served in the military and growing up to be uh, yeah. in the National Guard and a Brigadier General, what are some of the blessings that you have received as a chaplain? I mean, there's one thing to give and to serve, but I'm sure that God has blessed you along the way. I would say this, Paul, is meeting people like you, number one, that I would, I would have met if I wasn't in the Guard. Number two is the blessings are to, to have the trust of people who will tell you their their darkest secrets. They trust you with that. Yeah. A uh, person who's in a culture in a rock and a hard place, and they need someone to listen to them in a non-judgmental, loving way, is really a uh, is an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. So when you have over over the course of your time, course of service, you you gain a perspective on how to uh, listen to what people have to say. And I think the other thing too is we get older, we keep things in perspective. What we thought was important at age twenty six. It's not as important now at age 62. It's a whole different world. And, and and just keeping those things in perspective. And I think the blessing for me is being able to mentor, if people want it, younger chaplains, younger pastors mm-hmm. who are coming along. Because what I hear, and I'll, I'll stop with this here before the next question, is like, well, you know, how how did you get to become a brigadier general? How did you get to become a colonel? You know, I just did my job. You know, I wasn't plotting. I wasn't planning. I just did my job to the best of my ability. Yeah. And I like to think that because of my the work that I did, the quality of work I did, it was recognized. Amen. Well, and now God has you in a completely different season. So now you serve as a pastor at Lily Presbyterian Church. So how did you transition from the military to now back to a pastoral role? I, I got to say, it is kind of tough. It is kind of tough. And I think you know what that is. Like, also, Paul, you go from the military where you have this, everything's going 120 miles an hour. And, you know, you, there's, there's no BS. You, you, you work through the stuff. And then you get to a congregation where it's like, you know, it's sort of the world. It's, it's, a, it's a civilian pace of life. And we're very blessed to end up at Lely Presbyterian Church in Naples, Florida. Didn't plan to be here. But, again, it was one of those moments when I was looking for something to do, looking how God might use me. And in the Presbyterian Church, there are these opportunity lists. They list churches, size, what they will pay you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I told my wife, hey, this, is, this, is, this is a neat little place. This place to Lily Press. You send your paperwork. Sent it down. And then the next day, the, the chair of the committee called and said, hey, let's talk with you. Can we, can we have a conversation? And we did, and we made the trip down. And it just, it just, it just is a perfect fit. Because I look at it this way. You know, in most, church, in most denominations, people, uh, pastors are always called to bigger, better-paying Churches. Mm-hmm. For some reason, God always calls people to bigger, better paying churches, never the smaller churches. So here's a church of 100 members, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm blessed. I got a little bit of a military retirement. 
I'm in the twilight, not say twilight, but the probably, you know, the uh, the fall of my life. And here, if I can go to a congregation of 100 members, make a difference, build up to maybe 300, 350, and hand it off to somebody eight years from now, I would be so, so, so happy, so pleased. And I'm, I'm thinking that's what God wants me to do. I, that's, the, that's, the, that's the calling. It's not just the call of the congregation, but the call of what you can do in that congregation that means the world to me. Amen. Well, Chaplain, I've got a, bit, a minute left with you or so. So my last question for you, you have done so much between the military and your pastoral work and all these different things. You mentioned your wife. I, I wonder how you're able to balance the demands of ministry and family throughout your 36-year career. What advice would you give to somebody that's up and coming? They have this fire in their belly, but sometimes they don't want to sacrifice for their ministry. They don't want to sacrifice their family. How do they balance all that in your experience? Well, number one, I, I didn't balance it out very well when my kids were young. I missed things I should not have missed, and I can't go back and redo that. So I would tell people, be very choosy what you miss in the lives of your children mm-hmm. and in the life of your wife. And at this point in my life, I have a wife who's, who's extremely patient, understanding, very supportive, very involved, and, and that's a blessing. It's, um, I mean, she's a flight attendant by trade, and, uh, and she's actually going to retire from that soon. In fact, today, I think today's your last day. Wow. Um, and so it's just as a matter of, of, of working together, communicating what needs to be done, why you're doing it, and don't never never assume that your spouse understands why you're doing something um, because, you know, what happens when you assume things. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? And so it's important to have that communication and understanding and support. And she's been, I tell you what, I have an incredibly supportive wife, and I, I thank God for her every single day. But Chaplain, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be on the program. And it is just an honor to know you, but to have you on the show and to really unpack some of these things and hear about your ministry career has really just been an honor and privilege. I want to thank you so much for your time today. Well, Paul, thank you for having me. And thank you for what you do. I really appreciate your ministry, your work, and, and God bless you in, in all your endeavors. Thanks so much, Chaplain. Okay, sir. Bye-bye. All right. When we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guest. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And I pray that tonight you wouldn't just watch an incredible night unfold before you, but just see it happen and not participate. But I'm believing that every one of us would lean in, press in towards God and embrace all that he has. And the amazing promise of the Bible is that as we lean into God, as we draw near to God, is that he draws near to us. And that he comes to change us and reveal himself to us and speak to us. Amen. Well, come on, like from the front to the back, all around this incredible auditorium, let's lift our hands towards God tonight. And we're going to commit this into his hands. And God, we look to you tonight. Above the singing, God, above the music, above the songs. Let your name be lifted high, Jesus. Let your name be honored, God. And we commit all that we are to you, God, and everything that we do. And we reach towards you, Jesus. E. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, Contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. 
Welcome back to Serving on Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's just briefly think about what we've heard from our guests. So let's just start with Mr. Kevin Weaver for a minute. He really demonstrated that in the area of business, regardless of what occupation you have, you can serve others by leading by example. You heard him saying, I never ask anybody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And he really talked about the four most important things that you can do to serve people at your workplace and in your community. And these are the four pillars that he's built his organization on, the Warrior's Journey. He said people want to be loved. People want to be valued. People want to belong. And people want to have a purpose. And so regardless of what you do in life, what your job is, again, all of us are ministers. All of us have the opportunity to love and serve and care for others. And so when you focus on those things, making sure that people are loved, valued, people belong and feel like they have a purpose, that can make a tremendous difference in how you get along in your community and the people that you work with. And then when we talk to Chaplain Brandt, I think one of the most fundamental things he said, it's about a calling, not a hobby, right? When you serve people through your faith, it's that calling. He said, I can't imagine doing anything else. This is the only thing that I can do. And then when he talked about the blessings that he's gotten through the 36 years of ministry, he said it's the people that he gets to meet and gaining the trust of people and having a new perspective on life as he's gone through all these different situations and then being able to give back, to serve as a mentor to people that are up and coming and maybe want to go in to the military to become a chaplain or maybe want to pursue pastoral ministry. And he closed out his comments with, you know, it's not about how big my church is. It's not about how many people I have in my congregation. It's about making an impact. And that is my challenge to all of you today. What can each one of us do to make an impact in our workplace, in our community, through our faith, and even in our family? Chaplain Brant talked about the difficulties of balancing ministry and the military and his pastoral ministry. And he said that you have to really focus on working together with your partner and never make an assumption. And I've been married for 23 years, and that's something I have to keep in mind in my own life. And so it just challenge all of us to really focus this coming week on being able to serve others in those capacities. Very quickly, each week I'd like to give you a quick story about when you put good into universe, good comes back to you. So just recently I had an opportunity to go out and serve a disabled service member uh, that is in a nursing home. And my only goal was to just go out and pray with him, um, bring him some donations that we had collected. And as fate would have it, as the way that God worked the situation out, there was another individual that went with me, and he happened to be the director of admissions for the school where my son would like to go. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to get a free ride or anything like that, but it's just God opening doorways. It's God making a path, making your path straight. And quite honestly, that happens over and over and over Again, God just shows up. So I challenge you to do those things, to love and serve others, because God will make your path straight. 
Listen, next week, I have another incredible show for you. Two women that are going to be on at the same time because they work together and they have a lot to say. Holly Turner is the founder of Heroic Gardens. She's a candidate for a certificate in horticultural therapy. She's also the daughter of a U.S. Navy veteran and the granddaughter of an Army veteran. And she'll be joined by Miss Peg Sheffield, who's a registered horticultural therapist. She's a professor of horticultural therapy at Temple University. She's also a member of the advisor board for Heroic Gardens. And she's a horticultural consultant and therapist. So I'm very excited about having them on. And the last thing I want to tell you is to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple podcast mailing list. You can do that through my website at reverenddrpaul.com. That's R-E-V-D-R-Paul.com. And you can also check out all the previous episodes of this show by going to the show tab on my website. And listen, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week.